Welcome to the Educause Integrative CIO Podcast. I'm Jack Seuss, Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I'm Cynthia Golden, Associate Provost and Executive Director of the University Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Pittsburgh. Each episode, we welcome a guest from in or around higher education technology as we talk about repositioning or reinforcing the role of IT leadership as an integral strategic partner in support of the institutional mission. Hi, everybody. This is Cynthia Golden. And this is Jack Seuss. And our guest today is Mark Roman. And Mark is CIO at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia. And Mark, we're really glad you could be with us today. Great. Thank you very much for inviting me. So to start off, why don't you spend a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, I love computers. I uh, started playing with them when I was about 14. Now, you have to remember that I'm a lot older, and so... At 14, having access to a computer was a rare thing, and I was really very lucky. And I got very interested in computers at a young age, loved playing with them. And uh, so I ended up getting a computer science and math degree as an undergrad. And what I found interesting after I graduated was that I was working for a bunch of people that didn't understand computers. So I thought, and they all had MBAs. So I thought, well, gosh darn, I better go get an MBA because I don't think these people are running the IT department properly. So I went back and I got an MBA in finance and management, and I've been managing IT organizations ever since. I think the first part of my career was interesting because it was in financial services. And in financial services, when you're running IT, it's kind of easy in a way. People come to you and uh, if they don't like your desktop standards or your servers or your software, you simply say to them, well, there's a lovely insurance company down the street. Why don't you just go work there? The ability to put security in place and standards and things in a, in a financial services organization is very different from a university. Now, I've spent the past uh, 20 years in higher ed, and it's a much different environment. It's a much more exciting environment. There's greater diversity, and there's way more fun. Plus, I think when you're in higher ed, you feel like every day you come into work, you're adding something more to society. So that's, so that's my background. I've been CIO for several years. Uh, I've been CIO at a couple of organizations in Canada. And I uh, was also the CEO of our, uh, our research network, um, Canary, for a little while as well. So I had a, a broad experience in the technical side of things and managing uh, IT organizations. So I gather you're happy with your move from industry to higher education. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, one of the hopes of this podcast is to discuss the concept of the integrative CIO and what it means uh, to you and, and how you think about it. And as background, I want to just sort of say to the audience, Mark and I have known each other for a number of years because our institutions have, were sort of founded in similar periods. They're roughly in the early 50s in their age. They were roughly the same size. They were both in locations where um, there was another larger public that had been uh, in existence for much longer, which had more uh, notoriety. And so we were talking about sort of strategies that happen within these mid-sized kinds of institutions. And I know you've done a lot at uh, Simon Fraser, but just what do you think of the integrative CIO terminology 
and and how are you trying to think about what that means at your organization? Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, way of thinking about it. And yeah, Jack, it's interesting. Our, our institutions have such similar history, and and you and I, I think, have the same barber. We have the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> for those of us, for those of you who can't see us, we're both a little bald. So we do share a lot in common. I think the integrated CIO is a very powerful concept in IT we're in a very unique position. We're probably the only organization in the university that sees everything. It's kind of like you're on a mountaintop and you can see where all the valleys are. You can see where all the rivers are flowing, where all the traffic is going. And you're the only organization that actually has access into the administrative side of the, 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 the institution in a very intimate way. A very close relationship with the, the research computing and the research side of the institution and a very close relationship with the teaching and learning side. And IT is involved in everything. So as a CIO, you have the opportunity to see everything. You sit on this mountain and you can see how everything's connected. And so the integrative CIO, the successful integrative CIO is, is the one that leverages that, that vantage point. So if you, if you can see how everything works together, you should be actively delivering systems that help things work together. And so to me, that's, that's the, the basis for the integrative CIO. And uh, I think there are, there are three components to it. Once, once you have this, this perspective, you need to think about your, your vision of what you want for IT. You need to think about how you're going to steward the resources because you don't own them. You're a steward of these IT resources. The institution owns them. And you need to think about how you organize because there's disparate funding sources and there's, there's lots of IT in an organization. It doesn't all report directly into the CIO. So how do you structure an organization to, to meet those challenges? So Mark, as a, as a follow-up on that, I know that you've been undergoing a major effort, which I believe you call one IT. Mm. And yes. One IS. One IS. And so could you talk a little bit about that and talk about how that came about? And also in, in discussing this, I'd be curious, was this something that you started immediately upon arrival at Simon, Simon Fraser, or did it take a few years to get to the point that this initiative started? And what were the necessary conditions to be in place for you to start um, thinking about this bigger vision that would be there? I did have a little bit of an advantage. I was running a small consulting business before I came to Simon Fraser, and I had done an IT review of, of uh, the university. And I had done similar reviews for about 15 different institutions across Canada. And there was, when you do a review, there's always something truly unique, a truly unique problem about any institution. And, and the interesting thing about SFU was that there were almost as many local IT folks and, and uh, systems as there were enterprise systems. And uh, there was a lot of history of no communication across the university, duplication of resources. There was uh, an IT organization that was characterized to me as one that was busy spending more time building moats and castle walls than actually delivering services. And so when I got to SFU, I knew that we had this, this chasm that we had to cross and we had to find ways to bring folks together. And so I spent some time, uh, we did a, serve, uh, a, a customer satisfaction survey and a follow-up consultation for, as part of our planning process. And 
one of the one of the characterizations of of our culture, our IT culture, was that a senior individual at the university said, "I'd rather stick shards of broken glass in my eyes than ever deal with your people soft." Oh boy! And so, you know, out of that arose this notion that we need to think about how we're going to work together. And so, the vision of one IS, and we 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 try to avoid the word IT because it's not about technology; it's about systems. So, this vision of one IS. Is that all of the uh, all of our systems should work together in a seamless fashion, and all of the people who support those systems should work together in a seamless fashion. So, nice simple statement around uh, around what we mean by one IS. And so, I've been here for almost five years, and the evolution's been fascinating. The first step we had to do in in, in this journey of of one IS was to say we need to focus on our external issues. We need to focus on and on creating a client service culture. We need to make major changes to to how leadership functions in the institution. We need to focus on putting in project discipline. We have to fund the huge technology deficit. Um, we have to reorganize in a way that makes sense to our customers, not just to the IT department. And so we started this this path on, and on all those dimensions. And part of the decision making process, we created this what we call stewardship model. So as we introduced change. We brought a number of folks together in this the One IS Stewardship Committee that makes decisions about information systems for the university, and it's not the CIO making the decisions, and it's not the IT department making the decision. It's all of Simon Fraser making the decision. So this this One IS uh, Stewardship uh, Committee would would see large project charters. It would see policy decisions. It would it would approve the plan. So we would bring all the information necessary to make the appropriate decision. With a recommendation to this committee, and then they would either approve it or make adjustments to it, and then we would uh, execute on it. So IT facilitated the process, or IS facilitated the process, uh, but the university made the decisions. So all of these major changes that we made, and this focus on client service and new systems that we introduced, were university decisions, and that helped build a level, an unprecedented level of trust. In the organization for how we were getting things done, but it also led to a lot of pressure in the IT organization. And um, after about four years of, of delivering, 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 we started to slow down, and I started to see cracks in the organization. We started to refocus, and this started last August around our internal organization and how are we functioning as, uh, how are we working as as a group? How's IT functioning? So we started to focus on developing people. On evolving a, a culture that was uh, uh, more friendly to to the individuals in the organization, to to deliver a more collaborative model and focus on operational improvement. We've always been the shoemakers' children. For the past four years, we had been the shoemakers' children. We had done a great job of delivering systems to other folks, but not to ourselves. So we needed to start focusing on our own internal processes. And so we've we've been at that. We've been using uh, been at that for a little while. We've been using a model of appreciative inquiry, which has been really useful in bringing out an understanding of of how we can make it a better workplace for our own folks. And the next step after we 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 finish this internal um, uh, development and growth is that we move into what we really see as as the digital transformation world, where the, the Simon Fraser University operating model will change, and that. Every project at the university will be an IT project, and and to do that, 
IT has to pivot without friction. So we have to have a frictionless organization that can support all these significant operating model changes that the university is going to be undertaking. So that's, that's uh, the vision of 1IS, where we are, where we're going, and uh, some of the bumps on the road. So Mark, you mentioned that you're using the appreciative inquiry technique with your staff. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and, and you know, how it's working for you? If we think about all the changes the university's gone through, we had lots of conversations about all these things that had to get fixed. And, 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 and that comes from a negative place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's never productive in the long run. So, you know, you can, you can do a, a review, find all these problems and say, now we've got to fix them. And, and you can fix them, but it does leave a bad residue in the organization. There's a sense of negativity that oh, we, we, we weren't very good. We weren't doing good work and we had to fix all those things. And I think as Western organizations or as, as, as IT organizations, we don't focus enough on what do we do really well. So you need to start the appreciative inquiry process with some principles. And you say, you know what? We're going to shape, we're going to change the shape of how we work together. So that's one. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it by dialogues, and we're, we're and these dialogues are going to be based on strengths. So, what are what are what are our strengths? And then we we need to sit together and say we're all architects of our own work experience. So we're all in this together. How are we going to make it better? And we want to create something that's meaningful, enjoy, uh, enjoyable, and then it's a satisfying workplace. So if you start with those principles in mind, it's a very different approach than the traditional just come in, find all the problems and fix it. This is saying we are going to base any change on appreciating what's already in place. And so you start with a series of questions. So we had a, a, a town hall, and this took up the, the entire town hall meeting, which was several hours, with only three questions that we wanted folks to answer. What do we do that works well? What do you really care about in the workplace? And then based on works, what works well, how can we improve it? And those three simple questions, we, we had breakout sessions, we had folks uh, getting all excited about their answers, and it was really it was, a, it was a very surprising session for me because I'd never really tried this approach before and I couldn't believe the energy in them. So you did this with the entire IT staff together? No, I did it with all of the, the enterprise IT that reports okay. and all the local IT that doesn't report directly to me. Wow. And so it was a real coming together of all the folks who do IT work at the university. So it was about 400 people. Not all of them, of course, were in the meeting, but... Mm-hmm. There's a total of about 400 IT people in the university who started getting involved in it. And wow. so out of that, we asked for folks to, to join teams. And what are you interested in? Uh, we identified a series of things that we wanted to do. Uh, the four things were, how do we do quality work? That's what does quality mean to us? How are we going to be more collaborative? How do we focus on developing the individual? And how do we get better at... Um, personal interaction? How, how, is our, how do we improve our culture? What is our collective model for behavior? So those were the four teams, and we had tons of volunteers. They went off, and I said, so at the next town hall, town halls are every semester, go off and think about this. I'll come and join you for meetings, and we, we had a facilitator come as well. And if you have any questions, we'll answer them. But you basically want to go off, work on your own, and come back to the next town hall 
and talk about your results. Talk about where you're at. And so we've had the second town hall where all the teams came back and responded on their action plans and presented what they thought were good things they could do and improve in this area. And then after that, they had a lot of feedback from folks in the room at the second town hall. And now these teams are going away and identifying what are the, the one or two core things that they need to deliver. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that's come out of this is a mentorship program. So we're, we're, we've launched this program where people in IT will mentor other folks in IT, whether they're local or enterprise. And, uh, you know, I volunteered for this. I wanted to be a mentee, but they made me a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's very exciting. And we've got a lot of uh, folks, and this is all ground up. This isn't the CIO coming in and saying, thou shalt do mentorship. Mm-hmm. No, this is about folks in the organization saying, we want mentorship. And, and the next step that's going to come after this is we want to do job shadowing. And so this is, there's this whole evolution of, of, of things that, uh, that will come out of this. So the notion of appreciative inquiry has been eye-opening for me. And it's been, it's been uh, the beginning of a big change in our, our culture here in, in uh, information systems at, at SAP. That is so interesting to hear about. I know that there are other CIOs who are, are fans of the appreciative inquiry approach, and and I think this has really been interesting to hear about how it has worked for you guys. We're we're still a work in progress, and, and <laughs> once you start down this path, you you can't go back, and you don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that this reminds me of, and I, I think it is Marcus Buckingham's book one thing you need to know, but I might be wrong on that. But one of his books talks about the fact that as you're working with staff, understanding their strengths and amplifying their strengths is so much more powerful than trying to correct their faults or their weaknesses. And what this, you know, we, I ended up having my team read that book and it sort of forced us to step back and rethink the way we were looking at employee development and employee management. Mm-hmm. And, and it sort of had a shift work into different buckets than where we might have originally thought about it. But it was a great way of sort of rethinking. You've taken that to a new level, I think, with the way you're thinking about it, appreciative inquiry. So thank you. Yeah, you, you tend to look at problems differently. You look at people in a more positive light and it's encouraging and and engaging for everyone. Um, Yeah. And that was, you're right, Jack, that was Buckingham's whole point was that if we try to focus on people's weaknesses, we just spin our wheels a lot and really managing to the strengths is, is where we should be putting our efforts. And that's what I hear under what you're saying, Mark. So again, thanks. Yeah, it's a very positive approach, and everybody feels better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we're more productive because of it, so it's effective. Moving into some more leadership discussions, Mark, you have had leadership positions in the Canadian University Council of CIOs and now in Educause um, on the board. And I always like to, to ask people what involvement in these kind of professional organizations really has meant for you and, and what's it meant for your teams? So that's a really good question, yeah. So I've been involved in Cuccio. Uh, we call it Cuccio, Canadian University Council CIOs. It's not an Italian business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been there since it started. Uh, I've been a board member. I've been the treasurer. I've been the vice president. I've been the president. And 
it's just such an important organization for me. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we can talk about lots of lofty goals, but to me, the most important thing is that it's group therapy. I sit down with 50 other CIOs across the country and we share our issues. We realize we're not alone. We talk about the, the challenges of being a CIO that you can't have with anybody else in the organization. And those conversations start as group therapy and then they start to move into other areas, which, you know, start, you start to have conversations about well, what are the grand challenges that, that our presidents face and how do we support those grand challenges? How do we look at new technologies? Does this new technology work for you? Does it, does it not work for you? There's, it's like a huge safety net. Uh, I come back energized and uh, I think the biggest issue is I come back with about 10 new ideas for my organization. <laughs> so I think my staff kind of dread when I come back from a, from a coaching meeting. <laughs> but in the end, it's, it, it makes us a better organization and it, and, uh, it, it helps me as a CIO uh, get through. What we're seeing more and more is, is benefits to the, the teams uh, across, uh, across the country. So something that's, that's really evolved to be a huge success is what we're calling special interest groups. And we've had one for years on security, and it's been, been hugely successful and hugely useful for, for all of us. More recently, we've got uh, special interest groups in communications, client services, project management, research computing. And we're seeing these as very productive. We're seeing that groups across the country are sharing uh, comms material around uh, uh, Security Awareness Month. We're, we're seeing groups share project management uh, templates, tools, and techniques. And we're, we're sharing uh, information about research computing in a way we never did before. The, so Cuccio has become this, this, uh, this place where, um, this tool that brings everyone together in a way that, that uh, makes all of us better. So it's, it's just been a wonderful organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that professional organizations in higher education have really been useful to certainly to me in my career and to my staff. And that's one of the things about our culture is that we do share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we even share like what, you know, how much we're paying for a particular contract and, you know, sharing things that vendors probably don't want us to share. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that gives us more negotiating uh, power. And I think it lowers our costs overall for the whole country when so speaking of professional organizations, you are an international board member of Educause. <laughs> and, and as part of being a board member at Educause, you have a role, I think, in, in shaping our profession. And so thinking about that, what are your hopes for the IT profession in higher ed as, as we think about the future, you know, 2025 and, and beyond that? And how do you see international collaborations shaping our community? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I've had an opportunity to spend some time in, in Australia and Germany and the U.S. and Canada and, and having conversations about um, uh, IT organizations in higher ed. It's amazing what you can learn when you get outside your national boundaries. We, we, we get into a certain mindset, and uh, certainly the funding models differ across the world. But because those funding models differ, people take different approaches to problem solving. And so you see all kinds of different opportunities, different ways of doing things. I, I, I see we all need to learn more about what other countries are doing. I think that it's a spectacular opportunity 
to go and visit an IT organization, a higher ed or university IT organization in another country and and see how they solve problems differently. Going into some countries where there's there's unusual privacy constraints or cultural attitudes towards IT shapes and forms the, the, the approaches they take. So when I'm when I'm in the U.S., I see a lot of use of, of cloud computing. Uh, and and I, I, I am deeply envious because some of the privacy issues that I face in Canada make that a little bit more challenging. And then I go to uh, other countries where there's still a strong focus on open source because of cultural issues and, and uh, similar concerns around, uh, around uh, privacy and sharing of data beyond national boundaries. There's, there's so much that we can learn from other organizations and other ways of doing things. And until you get out and travel and, and visit a different organization, you don't see your, organi- your own organization in, in as clear a light as you could. One of the things that as we've had these conversations with other CIO leaders, what we've begun to see is how important communication is. And one of the things I sense from you is that you're a great communicator. I also know you're very active in social media activities. At least I follow your Twitter uh, stream quite a bit. And, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about, one, the importance of communication and, and the tools that you use for connecting on campus and how they help you, or the subject in general of, of how to be a better communicator. So it was in those contexts, and I don't know if some people just do it naturally. Others are are very directed in how they think about it. And I just didn't know if you had thoughts. So I have a a student advisory council. And uh, so it's always good to ask students what social media, what they think of social media. And so we've had some really interesting conversations with them. And I, I, you know, it's funny, I I had a conversation with our our, our, our communications group here on the university, the, the official communications group, and I was explaining to them that we have a lot of traffic on, on our, Reddit, our subreddit around Simon Fraser University. And they were going, oh, no one uses Reddit. And turns out, I think it's the fourth most popular site in the United States right now. And, and they just weren't up to speed on what the latest fashion was. So if you think about social media as fashion, you, you've got to be on top of it all the time. You know, we see... Twitter, you know, declining, we see Facebook declining, but we see other ones picking up. And it's really challenging to, to, to stay abreast. What I'm finding is if I'm following Reddit, I can keep track of all the complaints about, say, Wi-Fi on campus, and I can respond to them directly. That, that's a very high-touch approach to responding. Uh, but when it comes to communications, I, I get out, I walk around campus, I'm all over the place. And I spend a lot of time talking to folks. There's nothing better than, than actually talking to a faculty member about their problems in person, as opposed to responding by email. When we think about the kinds of changes that we, we've introduced over the past several years here, we haven't communicated any changes. We've socialized all the changes. Mm-hmm. And so we create communities of interest. We, we talk. We use all the social media challenge, uh, t- uh, channels that are available. But we get out, out of our offices and we talk to people and we have lots of sessions explaining things. It's, it's a very high touch and high energy approach, but we are very successful in uh, having people understand why we're making all these changes. So, Mark, thank you. You've been, you've been wonderful so far in our questions. 
Before we go, are there any final comments or anything that we didn't ask you that you wanted to touch on uh, and share with the people that are listening? Ah, gosh, I think that the integrative CIO is uh, somebody who has to be very open-minded and uh, and self-reflective at at all times and uh, uh, wants to have fun. So Mark, your background in uh, financial services and getting an MBA probably makes you more astute in thinking about return on investment, financial management than the average CIO. Any thoughts that you have as to how you're using that skill in your own organization? What a great question, because what we, everything we do in IT is an investment. The university isn't about technology. It's about teaching, learning, community engagement, but it's not about technology. I mean, we're, we're here to reduce the administrative burden or to, to, to deliver on the, the, the grand challenges of presidencies. And so we're an investment. And any project that we have over 20 person days requires, requires the project manager to think about fit, utility, and balance. So does the project align with the, does it fit with the strategic vision of the institution? Um, do the qualitative and quantitative benefits outweigh the costs and the risks? And are we putting a balanced investment portfolio in across the whole institution? So if you think about an investment strategy, every, every, every initiative uh, requires that kind of thinking. And so we, we kind of plot our projects out on, um, on a, a grid that says, um, what is, what is the, the risk versus the perceived return? And then we, 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 we categorize and we think about projects that have a high perceived return and low risk. Those are what we call a clear way forward. We know we're going to do them. Everybody supports them. And then we have projects that um, have a high perceived return but high risk, and we should do them but we need to keep a close eye on them. We have to pay a lot of attention to them. So we call those the high attention projects. And then we have projects that are low perceived return from the institution and low risk. Uh, and those are things like our cabling infrastructure here at the university was put in before 1989 or 60% of it went in before 1989. So that has to get replaced. And that's four or $5 million project because it doesn't seem to have a high impact to folks at the university it has a very low perceived return. And then we have projects that are low perceived return and also high risk. So implementing a new identity management system, which is something we have to do, very risky. And no, no one really wants, no one, none of our customers really see it as, as a high return. The fact of the matter is those, those ones that are low perceived return, low risk, I call them table stakes projects. We need to spend a lot of time, if you will, socializing across the campus the investment in the business case for doing it so that they move into this, this clear way forward category. We all, we all agree they need to be done. And then these hard to explain projects like identity access, low perceived return, high risk. We need to explain and socialize why they're important, why it's an important investment to the institution and move them into this high attention category where we, we keep a close eye on them, but we also have convinced the university that they're important to do. And so that's, that's kind of this portfolio approach to, to uh, information systems projects. We've moved from, we've evolved from an organization that was, there's so many things we had to do and they were very clear what were the first priorities to an organization that solved all those, the big glaring problems into an organization that now has to prioritize all the, the, the demand. So uh, we've, we've just uh, begun to implement a prioritization process 
we've matured to a place uh, where, where it's harder to discern which is more important to do across the institution. So we have a, a model that we've put in place that's based on a, a capital asset pricing model where all our projects are scored and we think about uh, really 10 dimensions. What is the institutional strategic alignment? What is the quantitative value? What is the qualitative value? Is there an obligation to deliver, for example, a legislative requirement? Um, what are the project risks? So how risky is this undertaking? And we break that up into kind of uh, qualitative and then uh, quantitative aspects. And then what's the institutional risk if we don't do the project? How does the project fit into our standards and how does it align with the vision of, of 1IS? And so that scorecard is being used to rank all the currently active projects so that when new projects come in, we, we then take a look at that score and say, hmm, if we don't have resources to do this, can we bump something that's at a lower score? And those tough decisions and those tough conversations happen at the, in, in the stewardship committee. Well, we've certainly had fun today talking with you, Mark. So thank you for joining. Yeah.